It's great to see you all. Um, I thought we might start again. We haven't done it for a while, but this is uh, stories of Thanksgiving, things that are going on, answer prayer. Anyone would like to start again? Start with Simon said. No, um, if you like any, any good stories, any things going Anyone got any answered prayer? I um, have reached my target of 10 students a week. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Jesus. Dave? Yeah, we job. A new job. Brilliant. I saw that one of your neighbours. Just one. Brilliant. Great work. Brilliant. Well done. Lexi, you got any good stories? Yeah. What's that? Lexi was Lexi was four on Monday. Big girl four. We had lots of parties. Seemed to go on forever. Um, Anyone else? Anything at all? Good news? Answer prayer? Nothing. Um, I would encourage you to keep thinking during the week about what you might like to share on a on a Sunday. One thing I like that for, I don't know if many of you are on Facebook that flushes up the kind of memory things as you go through Facebook about the different things that happened. It's it's five years ago yesterday that I became an elder at Livingstone Church, and five years ago today that I started the Ignite course, which many of you will know that I walked through uh, with Southampton and Pioneer. So that five years ago feels like a long time ago, but a lot has happened in my life in those, in those five years where God's taken me. So I wouldn't, <laughs> I would encourage you to think, you know, we talked a lot on, on Wednesday about journaling and about taking memories and taking stock of where we are. Um, so I'm going to pray, and uh, then the kids are going to go to their group, and we're going to dig into God's word together. So let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for the last five years. I want to thank you for the journey you've taken me on and us as a family uh, in your word, in your ways, as you stepped out in courage. And I pray for everyone in this room that as we take steps of faith, take steps of courage in the coming weeks, that we will be able to look back in five years' time and know this was a turning point. These days, these weeks, these decisions we make to follow you deeper, uh, to trust you, to step out in faith, that you would honour us and that we would celebrate all that you are. Jesus, we thank you that you are alive, you're working in every one of our lives. You have plans for us, you have things for us to walk into, and that we can do that as a family following you. And Lord, we thank you for this family called Mosaic, we thank you for this community. Uh, would you bless us with your presence this afternoon as we study your word, as we think about prayer in the mini Mosaic, and we think about the life of Paul together in here. So Jesus, we give you glory and praise, for you alone are worthy of it all. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. Cool. Right, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 9, we start a new series today, so you can obviously see that we're going to talk about Philippians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, We are actually starting today a series on Philippians, but we'll look at the book of Acts to start off with. But we are, we've taken some time out as a, as a leadership team just to think about what we might do next, with all the kind of stuff we've talked about. And we want to look at the book of Philippians for, for several reasons, and that is actually because it's a very practical book. There are some books in the Bible that are just very good to pick up and go, actually, this is stuff we can put into practice. It's challenging, there's no doubt about it. There's some really stuff in there you go, I'm going to have to do something about that. Um, I'm going to have to change the way I think, I'm going to change the way I do stuff. But the idea of us looking through the book of Philippians is to, to, we're calling this sort of topic, living well. Living well. And in the next few weeks, we're unpacking 
what we're doing in different series. So we'll be looking at living together, um, the idea of being a community together around God's word and what that looks like. We'll be looking at the theme of looking, living through stuff, in inverted commas, and kind of living through the, the trials and tribulations of, of our everyday life. Um, what happens when things don't go quite um, to plan? We'll be looking at living in unity, together as a community, living maturely, humbly, and then also living with purpose. What is it to live with a purpose for God? What is it to, to take what Jesus has done on the cross and through his resurrection and actually live that out? What does that look like? Uh, we'll be looking uh, in harmony. Uh, that's not singing or anything like that. That's just going to be living together as a community and living in peace. And the final one we'll look at, which I think will be quite challenging, especially to me, is living contently. What we, how do we live with what God has given us? What the sort of situations go on? So then that, that will take us up pretty much to Advent, and then we'll look at Advent together as we launch into the start of a new church year. So we will be looking at that bit by bit as we go. And I'm doing the introduction today of Philippians by looking at the book of Acts. Okay. I'm looking at Acts because the writer of the Philippians, to the Philippian church of Philippi, was a guy called Paul. Uh, and Paul wasn't always Paul, as we'll find out today. And I think it's probably a story that's kind of known fairly well amongst uh, the church community, and that is Saul to Paul. Um, but I thought it would be good for us to look at that in a little bit more detail, to make sure we're all on the same page before we, we launch into this book. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 9. Can anyone remember, you can shout out, one of Caroline's talks in the um, Freedom in Christ series talked about an animal and a vegetable. Oh. <laughs> Axel? It's a potato and a gazelle. Potato and a gazelle. Can you remember the verse that went with it? For extra bonus points. No, I was okay. just laughing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's this whole idea. Potato. Potato, yeah. Potato and a gazelle. And it came from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Don't go there. I'll read it out over this. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, is the uh, King James Version of said verse. Um, and the Caroline were talking about the fact that actually when we become in Christ, when we give our lives to Christ as, as our Lord and Saviour, we become new creations. We're no, longer, we're no longer potatoes. We become gazelles. We become this complete different creature in Christ. And it comes from an invitation by God's grace into that salvation, into that, into that story, if you like, into that narrative. Um, but if, if we do say yes to Jesus and we do say he is our Lord and Saviour, that actually does happen. It's not like what that may, may happen to Evita, which is good. It actually does happen. If you say yes to Jesus, it automatically happens. How we live it out is... Um, is a different story. How we live it out can be difficult. And that's what we want to look at, this Philippian stuff about living it out. But it's actually true. So when you're invited in, when you invite Jesus in in one sense, or invite Jesus into our lives, that becomes a true statement. We become new in Christ. So with that in mind, we're going to look at Acts 9, about how this actually happens to one particular man. So I'm going to read from verse 1, and I'll read from the New Living Translation, which might be Slightly different, but I hope it will uh, give a little bit more essence to what I want to put, take out. And I will take it bit by bit. So read from verse 1, this is. 
So let's put it in context. In context first, well, we, we've, had, we've had Pentecost, which makes sure everyone's on the right page. We've had Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has come to the church, uh, Peter has preached, the church is growing, the church has um, started to meet in each other's homes, to start to establish worship in each other's homes, in the temple, and everything else like that. They've wrestled with what that looks like in terms of who does what. They've got a rotor system going, uh, they've built kind of ideas about what you do, they've got leadership structure in place. They're, they're building momentum. All the way through this, um, in chapter 7 and chapter 8, we see this guy called Saul just appear through the narrative. Um, he's not best pleased with what's going on, I think is the best way to say it. He's, he's unhappy with how the, this, this what, what was at the time called following the way um, has, has kind of come up through the, through the Jewish faith. So he's seen a couple of times, he, see, he oversees Stephen's death and martyrdom, and then we see him again here in verse 9. So here we are, reading from verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So at the moment, he's a proper baddie. He's the proper villain of the piece. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them back, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So his heart, at the moment is set on stopping this new sect appearing, this new way of following what was following Jesus. The danger is that sometimes you can look at this and think um, he was all bad. But actually what he was trying to do was protect what he believed in. What is that? He believed in God. He was zealous for the way of the Jewish faith. He thought these people were off their heads and were all, all that sort of thing. He actually was acting out of a belief in what he thought was true. He had a passionate belief for God. The issue with Saul is he didn't know God. He had a way, he had a religion, he had a, had a, had a passion of, of doing things right of what, how he saw it. He'd, been, he'd grown up in the Jewish faith, he was a, gone through the scholarship and all those sort of things. He knew what he was talking about, but he was actually quite far away from knowing who God really was and what God was doing. He was zealous in the wrong way. His argument is to say he knew the scriptures backwards and forwards. Um, he could apply it in all sorts of situations and yet was far away from God. So that's where he's at. He's, he's, he's trying to sort all, the, all these issues out. He's trying to wrestle these people to get them arrested. Um, he is not pleased with what the Christians are doing. So we carry on with verse 3. As he was approaching Damascus on their mission, oh, sorry. As he approached Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down all around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground. When he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there, blind for three days, and did not eat or drink. That's quite a change. Quite an encounter. Um, Saul thought he was good. He thought he was wise. Um, he probably thought, well, said he thought he was religious. He thought he was being zealous for God. And he thought he knew God. And actually, I believe he probably thought he was doing God a favour by sorting out these other people. 
Um, but actually, he was moving directly against God. And that's where Jesus steps in. And steps in with a, a question. And it, it's uh, interesting, we talk about quite a lot, is uh, when, we, when we meet encounters with Jesus or when we see Jesus encounter other people, so he often asks questions. There's an invitation into relationship at every single stage of that. He could have just actually go, saw what you're doing, sort yourself out, let's move on. But actually he says, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? He wants to get at the heart of everything we ever do. And I think that's one thing I constantly find at the moment that God is asking me, asking us as a community, is what, you know, God will ask us the why questions, the what questions, to get at what's going on in our hearts. Because as we, as we often point out, that God is interested in our hearts, interested in how we respond to things, interested in what... Um, we have on our hearts. There's quite a lot in the Bible about, you know, reveal your heart to God, speak your heart, talk of the truth. And Jesus wants to get at that. And he gets very, very quickly by asking Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's interesting that Saul automatically goes, who are you, Lord? So obviously he recognises that something's, this is not just a normal person, there's a, there's, a, there's a combination thing going on here. Um, and then to that conversation, Saul replies, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. And there is that, always that command. When there is an invitation, Jesus, there was a command to, to follow at some point. Uh, there is the invitation, there is the welcome, but then if we are going to submit to Jesus as Lord, there will be a challenge, there will be a statement for us to follow through. Um, where are we? I think I'm off this. Um, um, so that's where we're at to. So he tells him where to go. The men around him obviously don't know what, what's gone at all. They've just uh, obviously seen the light and they're a bit like, what, what's going on? Um, they heard, it says there, they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. So Jesus obviously reveals himself only to Saul, which is another miracle in and of itself, that Jesus had um, a mission for this man. And off they go into Damascus, where he's there for three days and did not eat or drink. Um, I think that's probably some of his sort of shock about what's gone on, but also a little bit of his kind of training of being a kind of Jewish scholar and the rest of it. He would have been used to fasting. He would have been used to taking time out to think things through as part of his regular rhythm. So I think he went into a little bit kind of like the SAS training sort of thing where it kicks in and went, right, I need to stop what's going on. I'm going to take some time out and have a, have a think here. So he does. Um, now in verse 10, now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a visit calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. It's always a bit dangerous, isn't it, to reply. <laughs> the Lord said, go, go, to, go over to Straight Street, that's in my Bible, the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorised by the leading priest to arrest anyone and everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell off Saul's eyes and he re regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptised. After that, he ate some food and regained his strength. Okay, a lot in that bit. 
Um, I always feel for Ananias when I read that in the Bible. <laughs> Sitting there, minding his own business. You know, praying, like, what, you know, what should I do today, Lord? You know, I've got some, I can go serve, I can go bless some people. Actually, Ananias, I want you to go to Saul. I bow. <laughs> I, was up, I was up for the, the, the potting things, I was up for cleaning some stuff, going to this, this person who wants to kill me and actually has got letters that can actually t- get me taken away is a different thing. And I think, you know, because, you know, of where God's going and who he chooses, he chooses on a nice, he knows actually how the guy's going to respond a little bit. Into that, this guy goes and blesses Saul because God kept saying he's going to be his chosen instrument to bless the Gentiles, to bless the entire world. That's why this guy is so important to the, to the story. Um, and what I want, I want to encourage you today is I think that, that God is laying a little bit of an analyzed spirit on us as a community. That actually, I think we need to prepare ourselves for a bit of ability to go and share the good news, to go and share the gospel, to go and lay hands on people that perhaps would be a challenge to us. I think there, there's a level being raised amongst, I think speaking to myself as much as anyone else, but there's a level being raised about how we be missional, how we go and share the good news with people that we might go, I'm not sure. There might be an initial heartbeat. We've talked about that quite a few times and we've, we've started to see where people have stepped out in grace, stepped out in courage about seeing walls breaking down, seeing people healed, seeing people, uh, relationships being restored. I don't think it's easy. I think there's a, you know, um, the courage it must have taken Ananias to get off his prayer mat and go and do these things cannot be underestimated. And, um, but what I find interesting in the way he approaches this is, is he could go in and go sort of, I don't know, sort of just gently sort of, Lord bless him, bless him, <laughs> like this. You know, and, and just sort of tentatively sort of touch the person from a distance or say, <laughs> you know, and do sort of, yeah, run out of the door as quick as possible. But he goes straight in and says, Brother Saul. He welcomes him as family from the very first statement. And I think that, that for me, is powerful. That is, that is saying, actually, that we're going to break this down. So, actually, you all, I'm going to welcome you. I'm coming into your house. I'm coming to, it's dangerous for me. But I'm going to honor you as if you're already part of the Christian family. And not, not saying his, his salvation was secured or anything like that. Saul has still some, some repenting to do and, and all the rest of it to sort out. And yet I do believe that, that that opening statement broke down so many things. He couldn't see this guy. He was, he was lost. He was probably quite scared. He had obviously, obviously been praying, saying, if this, you know, putting words into Paul's mouth. But obviously it was something along the lines of, Lord, if you're real, make, you know, make yourself real to me. Um, that he comes and gets welcomed. Um, and and, and Ananias fills him in straight away. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, I think some of that is what God is calling us to do, to go to people to actually regain your sight, to to see properly, to see Jesus. Not necessarily just blind, but actually to regain your sight about what God wants you to see in your life, about how God wants you to see uh, other people and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something filled, scales fell off Saul's eyes. And he regained his sight and got, got up and he was baptised. So we carry on at the second part of 19. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them chains to, to the police? That's a priest. <laughs> to the priests. 
Um, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted to kill him. They were watching for him day and night in the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, he escapes over the wall. The Bible's often quite interesting in the fact that sometimes you get these sort of almost throwaway statements, but actually so much has happened in between those things. And this is another one. He stays with, them for, stays with believers a few days and then automatically sort of discovers his way of preaching and talking. He obviously would have been well-versed in the Old, Old Testament. So when, when people start saying, this is what Jesus was talking about here, this is when they, there would have been cogs flicking around in the background going, actually, I understand that. I understand where he's going with this. Um, that now makes sense to that. And I think being filled with the Holy Spirit, obviously that would have kicked in a bit more, and off he went. And they are amazed. And I, I love the light of the verse in verse 22. It says where it became more and more powerful, and no one could refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. They were so worried, actually, that they had to plot to kill him because they, they knew that something else was up. So in this, what well, turns out to be 22, 23 verses, you've got a man who is, once it's hell-bent on destroying the church. That's what it is. He hates everything about it. He believes he's doing the right thing. He has an encounter with Jesus on the road, which changes 180 touch around. And it's the encounter with Ananias and the other fellowship that then cements this position. And I, th- I do believe that, that God is active and working in everyone's life, and I, I think there is an upping of what the Holy Spirit is doing, especially in his form. And I think it's for us, as a community and, and believers, to see where God is working and see where we can bless, see where we can go to him and say, Brother Saul, can I pray for you? So, I'm not going to take too much more time, we're going to respond in some worship in a minute. Um, I want to encourage us to think a little bit whether or not actually um, how, you, how you view this guy once well, when we talk about this, Philippians as we unpack it in the next few weeks I want us to be thinking that the guy who's writing to this church is the guy who's encouraging the church is the guy who's looking to, to bless um, unpacking what the cross has done what Jesus did in his life death and resurrection it's the same person that went through all this he came into this, you know, sometimes there's a, there's almost like a, God's up here, and it depends on people's theology, you might have Jesus a little bit here, and then there's like, Paul's here. It's like, it becomes almost like a demigod sometimes. Um, don't get me wrong, what God did through Paul and the writings that he released to is absolutely important, and we must hold him that actually he was an instrument used by God to bless the nations. And everything that Paul did is accessible to you and I. Okay, um, in the way that the way that Paul saw at the time, disowned the church, attacked the church. At one point, he says, I'm, I'm, "I'm the worst of all sinners." We looked at that a couple of weeks ago when we did Timothy. Um, he counted himself that he knew what he'd done, and yet God turned his life completely around, and he ends up blessing an entire whole generation. We're still talking about his work. We're still using his work, his words that God has inspired through the Holy Spirit to bless and be part of us. So I want to encourage you, no matter where you are, perhaps you are thinking, oh, God can't use me next, or there's this little thing in the background going, yeah, but I did that several years ago, or I did this. Um, part of my story is, you know, that I would have said never in a million years would I have been a leader, never in a million years would I have stood up here and talked to people, or do that as part of my thing. I was a very shy child, um, 
And yet God had different plans for me. God invited me into leadership. God invited me into things. People in this room have inspired and kind of helped me navigate that, that path. I guess what my encouragement to today is to say, if you have truly said yes to Jesus, and truly said the old is gone and the new has come, and therefore lots of things are possible. But almost to the point where anything is possible. If God can do this to Saul, what can he do in your life submitted to Jesus? So I want to encourage you, as we worship, you may want to take some time to say, you know, am I definitely submitted to Jesus? That's always a good question to start with. But actually, if you are, to say, actually, Lord, you know, lead me on a journey. Take me. Take me into these places where I can bless people, where I can do things. Maybe it's this week where you will be in Ananias to someone, to bless them, to invite them into, into the family. Um, and as I say, when, as we read through the rest of Philippians, I want us to, to really get this thing that actually the stuff he's writing, the stuff he's encouraging, comes from a place where, he, where he's been completely flipped around by God, and God can do that in all of our lives. So I wonder if we could um, stand if you're able, um, if you'd like to, and I'm just going to invite Holy Spirit to come, and we're just going to have a moment of silence to see where that goes, and then we'll worship together in song. <laughs> So sometimes the stance may help. You may want to have your hands out. You may want to just close your eyes and just reflect for a moment. Come, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, you're welcome amongst us. Lord, I ask for the things that I've said to just, I guess, hover around people at the moment. Holy Spirit, would you intertwine your grace, your truth, and your love through these words. And Holy Spirit, will you let everything fall to the ground that is not what we need to carry this week, not what we need to carry in the future. Um, Jesus, would you lead us in this moment? Where do you want to work? Where are the questions you're asking us? What are the things you're asking of us to do? Um, Lord, come and meet us where we need you most at the moment. Come, Jesus. Come, Jesus. Just let the Spirit, Holy Spirit come. God is in this place. Let's respond to Him.
that place of listening to God. I'm just going to read a little bit more of the two Corinthians passage over us. I believe God wants to just remind us of this this afternoon. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making us appeal through us, making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Father, I declare over us all this afternoon that the parts of our past that would hold us back are null and void because of the cross. That our sin has been separated from east to west. That it is finished. But God doesn't just put up with us, he rejoices over us. He's the God of reconciliation, the God of redemption, that has redeemed our past. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that you have made a way for us. You did all that was necessary, all that was needed to say, it is finished. And Lord, we receive that free gift of grace, the gift of your salvation. And we say yes to Jesus. Lord, as we respond in sun worship, Holy Spirit, we still give you permission to talk, to come, whisper over us, to spark our imagination with the dreams you would have us dream once again. The things that we buried because we think our past would hold us back. Lord, would you resurrect them this afternoon? The dreams, the ideas that we think somehow we'd be a hypocrite by stepping into that we release you, Jesus, into those places. Lord, I really believe that we're entering into a new season of, of ideas, of, of things sparking, of, of imagination, of people being fired up to, to see your kingdom grow. So Lord, would you release the dreamers, the movers and shakers in this room, in this place, to be kingdom people to be the Ananiases, to step out in faith and welcome people. 
So you might like to join in song, you can stay in what interactive mode if you want to as we worship together. But let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus.